Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast. I'm Ellie Noss, and since 2014, we've been celebrating and commiserating with world-class experts, best-selling authors, and listeners around the world. Hello, everyone. I'm Ellie, and it's very rainy in L.A. Everyone has the sniffles, myself included. I blame it on camping. For new listeners, I should say, I have a six-year-old named Sabrina, and I've got a two-year-old, Eliza. And my husband, Adam, and I took the girls glamping this weekend. It has been on my bucket list probably since I moved to Los Angeles in 2005 to go glamping. And it wasn't as glamorous as I was hoping glamping would be, probably because of the kids. But we had so much fun. We went to El Capitan, and they've got options of tents and yurts, these cool little one-bedroom cabins that even have a bathroom. So, yes, we did the bathroom option. I blame my husband for that. I was very excited about getting a yurt, mostly just so I could say the word yurt. And (laughs) he was like, I need a bathroom. Sabrina needs a bathroom. We need a bathroom. And I was like, okay, fine, fine. And there is this incredible woman, Karen Cook, who has figured out how to create vacations for families. So she runs the Wildflower Collective. And with that, with these weekend retreats, they plan activities for the kids uh, and also some activities for the parents so that we can all have fun. And so I found out from my girlfriends who texted in our group chain about this camping weekend. I'd been wanting to go to El Capitan forever and I was like, we're in. So we signed up and then our friends signed up and I'm going to say their names because longtime listeners, you know all of them. It was the families of Jessica Coulter, Becca McHugh, Bridget Maloney-Sinclair, Marie Horgan, and Sarah Reichling. And so we all signed up, convinced our spouses to come, and loaded up the cars with our kids. And it was a blast. We never get to hang out as families anymore. Many of these women I met when Sabrina was six months old in her mommy and me class. But then we all kept having babies and we're all on these different trajectories in terms of who needs a nap when and who's got the newborn and blah, blah, blah. So we have maintained our relationships, whereas our children have lost touch for the most part. We mostly do mom hangs or we do our text chain that later in this episode you'll hear my husband sometimes gets jealous of. And we rarely get to see everyone face to face. And it was really cool to see our children all play together uh, and to think back about what they were like, just total rugrats. And now our six-year-olds, they all got along so well. Um, And Sabrina was crying, leaving about having to leave her friends. And um, so we're going to have to get all the families again together soon. But Huge props to Karen Cook again with the Wildflower Collective because she created this opportunity for the kids to get together with these camp activities and we could go off and do our own thing as adults, which I think also really helped the kids bond because they had really fun activities and they didn't have their mothers yelling at them like, put that stick down. So again, check out the Wildflower Collective. This isn't an ad. We did not get a discount. I think it's super rad that this mom is creating these weekends and supper club opportunities for parents with their kids. 
Speaking of mothers who create, today I'm going to share selections from three podcasts we've done with mom founders. The stakes are so high for these women. Uh, We're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. And while I'm personally obsessed with entrepreneurial (laughs) entrepreneurial podcasts, uh, and I love doing research on how these women founded their companies, I also, I personally crave the the behind-the-scenes stuff that female entrepreneurs so rarely share. These days, I don't know if it's appropriate to ask a female founder about, like, how do you swing the childcare in certain venues that would be sexist, I think. But because I have a parenting podcast, I get to ask all this stuff and I don't really have to worry about it because I want to know. I want to know what happens at home. I want to know what happens behind the scenes. I want to know when you're building an empire, like does your spouse ever get, I don't know, feel neglected or needy and, you know, do these female founders that seem like such badasses, like, do they have mom issues like with their own mothers? Like where's the drama? What's What are the relationships like? That's the stuff I get excited about. And so we get some of that in these conversations. All three guests I'm sharing have been changing the game as entrepreneurs. And you, I give you a net, like there's a 99% chance that you have at least one of these women's products. Uh, there is Jack Tatelman, who co-founded State Bags, Reagan Moya Jones, who co-founded Aiden and Anae, you know, the muslin baby swaddles. Yeah. And then Jessica Rolf who is the co-founder of Love Every. Let's talk about Jessica first. She's a multi-million dollar company founding social entrepreneur. And in this conversation, she geeks out with us over baby brain development and startup family life. She sold the number one organic baby food company, Happy Family, for hundreds of millions of dollars. And she's now putting her heart and soul into Love Every play products designed by child development experts. I just saw, (sighs) yes, I was on the Goop gift guide. I was excited to see that Love Every's block set was on it. It's so beautiful. And then in addition to that, I also just got a text from my sister-in-law, Sarah Wilson, with this Forbes article from October titled, Silicon Valley's biggest investors want your kids to play with these low-tech toys. So I'm going to quote it. It says, Silicon Valley investors, including Google Ventures and Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, blah, 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 have just invested in a startup called Love Every that makes low-tech old-school toys. The company just landed $20 million in this Series B round led by lead investor Moveron. I probably mispronounced that. Now they'll never invest in my modern parenting podcast. Oh, well. Bringing in its total investment to $32 million, setting it up to become an important player in the world of toys. And I was like, I know Jessica. That's so cool. I know her and that I've spoken to her for one hour on my podcast, but I feel like I got to know her. (laughs) By the way, I should mention Sarah Wilson, my sister-in-law, who sent me that. She is also in the business of low-tech toys in a way because she has created a company called Maker Monkey Workshop that teaches kids how to use real tools to build, create, and design. You got to check out her Instagram. I'm going to link it on her website. Back to Jessica. In our podcast conversation, we share the greatest parenting lessons she's learned from business school, overcoming the fear of starting something new, 
why the Idaho life is the best life and how to keep marital love alive while immersing yourself in a startup. But first, I ask her to share what needs she is fulfilling with her company, Love Every. Yeah, so I guess from from my perspective, you know, so I've kind of gone so deep on the science around early child development, and I just got really obsessed and just started reading all of the different books and reading publications from child development experts in addition to this uh, this research, this doctoral thesis. And there's so many different, there's the Rye method, there's the Forest School, there's the Waldorf method, there's the um, Montessori, there's all these kind of different aspects of, and authorities around child development. And so what I wanted as a parent is I wanted to kind of the best of, right? I wanted to kind of pull all the resources together and think about how could I create an experience that was meaningful for my baby right at the stage that they are in right now. And so at Love Every, we've created the stage-based learning program that's every other month um, information and um, a, what we call play kit comes in the mail and products. And then really kind of like, what do you need to know about your baby right at this moment and develop in their development and what are they hungry to learn? And then how can you use these play things that we include or these toys um, with different activities to make that, that learning meaningful and kind of cover all the bases of their um, of their development. I think, you know, because I think we spend so much time thinking about feeding, we spend so much time thinking about their sleep, but really there's there's so much that actually needs to happen in learning that um, there's such an opportunity to to create like kind of meaningful moments. And I think for me, you know, the bells and whistles toys. So I, I remember um, with my first watching him pull up to one of those, those plastic like tabletop, you probably have had one or you know, where you push one button, all of a sudden 15 things happen and bells are going off and a purple cow is popping out of somewhere and <laughs> music is playing. And it almost seems like it was like my baby was just so absorbed in this toy. But I also found myself wondering, like, what is actually, what is this actually doing for him from a cognitive perspective? And also, what is it doing for us from a kind of moment of connection? Like, I felt really disconnected from my little guy in that moment. You know, I felt like it was like this toy was the thing and that was almost between us if you wanted to have a moment of connection and you know there's plenty of time for distraction toys but you know sometimes you really want to connect right sometimes it feels like with Eliza with those types of toys that she it's almost like she's like in her own little rave which yeah it feels very disconnecting because you're like (laughs) she's on her own planet with this like very stimulating weird thing (laughs) I'm not a part of this. <laughs> I love the rave context. I love that. I can totally see her at her own little rave. Um, but I, you know, and I think if you look at it from a child development perspective, so what they are, what they are actually like, what the, the toy is, the, where the toy is meeting the child is in the, their desire. They're so hungry to learn about their real world and they can't, they really want to learn about cause and effect. But what happens is it's almost like empty calories in food, right? You like sugar and it's a calorie and it's energy, but it's not really nutritious food. It's the same thing with, with some of these toys. If they are doing all the work for the child and they're pushing one button, they're actually memorizing the sequence of events. So they're like, okay, if I push that, that like note on the piano, that red note on the piano and that purple cow pops out and this song plays, I mean, they're, they go super deep and building this whole neural network of associations around you know, if I do this, then these things happen. And, and what happens is, is in our, in our brain structure, what we want to give babies is actually the the most we can is just really meaningful, real world connect brain connections. And we want to build that network of associations around things that they are going to be useful later in life. 
so useful as a three-year-old or the five-year-old as, a, as an adult. So turning, so, you know, Eliza's obsession with um, you turning on and off all the lights, like that's actually really useful because she's going to turn on and off lights all of her life. And she's starting to understand, um, you know, the, the real kind of life cause and effect. And they, there's so much that their little brains need to build over time that, um, that what, what my hope was is, is that I could give my children and I, what we really want to do at Love Every is give these children like meaningful experiences that aren't kind of this like rave, like um, addictive, weird, you know, sort of <laughs> not, not related to real life, you know, kind of experience um, with, with some of the, some of the stuff. And there's always a time for distraction toys, right? I yes. mean, I had quote unquote, the office. And it's that thing, that circle thing that you like put the baby in and they go nuts with all the stuff. But Sabrina had but that. It's, she it's loved it. Kind of, <laughs> Yeah, and it's kind of nice. Like I'd be at my office, my baby would be at their office. But it's <laughs> but it's a little bit. Um, there's there's just a time and a place, and so I think that it's it's also just there's a time for for healthy food. There's a time for you know treats. There's a time for you know kind of like healthy learning opportunities and and really being purposeful about it. And that's what we want. To, we want to be in that space for a parent and, and give them the peace of mind that they're getting. Um, what they need for, from a development perspective. So. You know, speaking of the baby in her office and you in your office, or at the, um, <laughs> do you have any tips from business school that would apply to, you know, running your household of three children while doing these startups? Like, what, was there anything from business school that you, you've applied to home life? Oh goodness. I've actually never thought of it like that. But now that you brought it up, I think um, I mean one of the things in business is to really kind of win and focus and know what you're going after and not try and be everything and do everything all at once. And I think one of the hardest parts as parents is that we're there's so many expectations and there's also so much stuff we put on ourselves. And so much of parenting is the opposite of business. It's being, it's like being with a child. Like you're not doing, you're not achieving, but you're, you're being present. You're, you're being there with them. And this is, this is one of the hardest things that I have absolutely not mastered. But what I'm, what I try and do is um, if you walked into my house right now, you would see um, it is not, not a, not a very organized place. I wish it was more. I wish that we could have, um, I wish it was cleaner. I wish there wasn't as much clutter as we have. But I think that if I can try and let go of the things where I'm not going to win, I'm not going to have a beautiful home right now. It's just not what, what I can't. I can't do scale a business and be a present mom and um, do anything else in life and you know any kind of self care or anything else and also have this like you know beautiful clean everything in its place house. Um, so I just have kind of let go of some things, you know, and I, and it, it's. Um, I think it's so hard. It, it's like everybody says that, but the practice of it is so hard to just kind of say, okay, where, what am I actually letting go of or where can I get help? Um, Cause I think if we're working, you know, the hope is, is that there's some, you know, there can be um, some extra funds to try and support, you know, like getting help in certain areas um, might be getting, you know, healthy takeout or figuring out other ways to deal with um, the responsibilities at home. So uh, it's not very. It's not. It's not a great picture in my house, but it's a really meaningful picture. And there's a lot of just like you know, when I'm not working, I'm trying to spend special time. And my husband and I, you know, kind of both have that um, principle where we let a lot go. How do you and your husband get time to be together? Because I'm assuming um, you work after the kids go to bed again. 
This is something I'm trying well, to hack for that? myself. How did you know this? How did you know this? I know this everything, exactly Jessica. This do. is what I do. I, I'm <laughs> the Atomic Moms podcast host. <laughs> <laughs> you know exactly. Um, you know, we we don't get enough time. Mm. Um, I wish we had more. I uh, It's really hard because when I want to, you know, it's oftentimes like, this weekend, um, I'm really excited. We just have like all of Saturday with no plans with any friends. There's just like kid time and husband time. But, you know, I love being with the kids all day. I will deal with their chaos. I will deal with them all, you know, hanging over me or vying for attention. It's kind of, it's kind of exhausting for my husband sometimes. And I think he wishes that he could have more, um, us time. And so we're working on it. I think it's also just recognizing that this is a stage and, uh, I think we're climbing out of it in our relationship. I think that, you know, it's, that's, it's hard to be in the early, the three kids and young kids. I think we're starting to kind of see the light of, okay, they're a little bit, they're becoming a little bit more independent and we have a little bit more space, but what do you do? Give me your tips. I don't have any tips for this because, well, okay. So I had a girlfriend on the podcast recently, Carissa, and I mentioned to her that my husband's been getting really annoyed at night even if I'm just trying to respond to my mom friend, like text chain, like, because he'll feel left out. And she was like, oh yeah, well that's your honey time. And I'm like, but then when do I do the work? Like, when do I catch up on all everything? Like, when do I catch up on the emails? And so she was like, she's done a lot of couples therapy and she was like, that's important time. And I was like, okay. So I still don't know. I think I just go to the bathroom extra long and like just respond to emails <laughs> then. Like my daughter thinks that I have like serious IBS, but really I'm just hiding in the bathroom and trying to get work done. <laughs> um, but too much information. Uh, let's get back to you, Jessica. So <laughs> speaking of husbands, um, you co-founded this one with your best friend's husband. So what's that like? Talk to us about boundaries. Oh, wow. That is, um, that's a good question. I think, um, you know, Rod and I have known each other for over 20 years. He's an incredibly accomplished uh, person who's really creative and also like really, really smart. And um, we were so excited to, you know, to kind of figure out a way for our families to be together. So the whole conversation started, I, I set up, I was assigned to find a way to have, um, our family and my best friend's family um, live in the same place. So my husband and my best friend were like, okay, we're, we're, we're going to leave it up to you and Rod to talk about kind of what our process is for finding the best place to live. And because I grew up with, with Andrea and, um, and then, you know, then it just kind of evolved to, I was telling him about this idea and he was saying, wow, that sounds, you know, that sounds really interesting. I'd love to be involved. And it all sort of became real with Love Every at that point, and he's the most phenomenal partner. Um, you know, she and I have a really special relationship. And, you know, I've worked, I've been pretty, I've been really intentional. Rod has been really intentional. We've talked about it a lot, you know, and she just moved here to Boise. And so it's, you know, sort of, she's having like a, a building out her new life. But it's, um, it hasn't always been easy, but I think it's also giving us the chance to be in the same place and giving us the chance to, like I, I get to now have my friend and, and we're, um, you know, in town where we've been long distance for so long. So it's in that sense, it's super special. And I think she's been really generous and really patient with, 
you know, the process of getting this business off the ground. And we're all going to Yellowstone together next week and kind of a ecosystem that we're putting together. Where was Andrea living? Because I know a lot of listeners just backtracked like I did for a moment when you were like, find a place to live. Like, you know, one might assume you meant like the what neighborhood, not what town or state to live in. Where was Andrea? Where did Andrea move from <laughs> to be with you guys? Yeah, Andrea and Rod, Andrea and Rod moved from DC. So Amazing. I grew up in Minnesota. Yeah, Andrea and I were best friends from from growing up in Minnesota. We were on the basketball team together. And um and then we kind of were in different different places um you know after after college and then we um Andrea and Rob were in DC and then they moved to Idaho which has been so so fun to have them here. And why did you move to Idaho? I moved to Idaho because my husband Decker got a job here working for a small venture capital fund so he had kind of found his dream job but really we were living in Manhattan um right before this and it was a huge change and I think he's always loved the outdoors and so uh so that's why we ended up in Boise over a decade ago and then we were wondering if we should leave and we should all you know if Andrea and Rod and Decker and I should live in in Colorado or California or Minnesota or Texas you know we're looking at all these different places and then we all kind of decided that that Idaho would be a great a great place for the next chapter that you just my husband can't listen to this now he's always you know <laughs> every night when he's mad at me about not I guess I don't know I don't know watching a, sh- a show together I guess parallel play <laughs> it's like it's so funny it's like when you're adults watching HBO it's yeah, kind of our yeah. pl- parallel play um but so yeah. when we're not doing our parallel play <laughs> um he is usually on MLS looking up other towns where we could potentially move come to Idaho come to Boise it's it's actually really it's so great the the quality of life here is so good it's so good and um it's so easy you know there's just like all the stuff that bigger cities are dealing with around traffic and like there's just you know a seven minute commute and it's just a very sweet place to raise kids it's uh it's Boise is a really special special city and it's getting a lot more attention recently it's been getting a lot more attention recently but we were really excited to be part of the you know the growth in Boise and um now Happy Family has has a big office here my first company and then now Love Every so it's it's very fun it's a it's a really good town to live in Cool. So come check it out. Okay, we will. We'll do an Atomic Moms tour, a national tour, everybody. And I'll sleep on your couch. <laughs> I have a really hard time listening to my old episodes. Like, I just invited myself to sleep on the couch of the Love Every founder. Like, what is... <laughs> What is wrong with me? Jessica, you're welcome to come sleep on my couch in LA anytime. Okay, moving on. Let's just hop over that shame puddle. Um, Jack Tatelman. So we had this conversation with Jack Tatelman in January of 2018. This Brooklyn-based social impact entrepreneur and mom of two is co-founder and creative director of the wildly popular State Bags and the co-creator of the nonprofit foundation Country Roads Foundation, established in 2009. Now, her brainchild, State Bags, has donated hundreds of thousands of backpacks to kids in need in the United States through their buy one, give one model. (music) 
Hello, it's Ellie again. Is that better? It is better. Thank you so much. Sometimes no I just problem. have to unplug something and plug it back in. I mean, that's the trick. Right? Always? Yes, always. Okay, so we're calling you at your offices, I'm assuming in Soho, is that correct? Yep, that's right. Okay, so set the scene for us, Jack. Like, what's on your desk? Like, what do you see out your window? What What's the snack situation? Oh, my God. So, well, right now, I'm actually sitting in our conference room, which usually is a glass fishbowl. But right now, we've moved all the racks for our fall 2019 season. So all the samples for fall 2019, men, women, and kids are all racked up and shoved into the conference room. So I'm essentially like in a bunker of backpacks right now. I think this is why Um, your sound is so good. I need that for the podcast studio because yeah, a bunker (laughs) of backpacks is like kind of perfect for a sound situation. Yeah, it was on purpose. It was on purpose. Totally. Yeah, so we're in Soho. It's great. I actually just got a huge, I'm in charge of snacks in the office because I maintain a very healthy lifestyle and I kind of um, push that and like um, on our on our team a lot. I obviously, you know, I'm not like here shaming people who do eat the Honey Nut Cheerios with whole milk that I do buy all the time. Um, but I just ordered a big delivery of snacks for the team. So we have a huge cabinet filled with really delicious snacks right now and some ready to drink coffee. And we actually just did a team like physical exercise, Sally Ups, which we do in the afternoon pretty often. And now I'm like bunkered in the conference room with the space heater talking to you. (laughs) What is a Sally Up? So there's a song by Moby and it's called, it's actually called Among the Flowers or something like that. Um, you wouldn't know that it's actually a song that CrossFit uses at the mm. end. I'm not a CrossFit person, but I just know this, that they use it at the end of their workouts. And it's like, it says like, bring Sally up and bring Sally down over and over again. So you can do it with like squats or planks or Burpees. whatever. And yeah, totally. So we just did it with our office with squats. Okay. I admit to listeners all the time that like, you know, I'll get sent emails from publicists saying, you know, this mother would be amazing on and she's got this amazing product. And I am often reluctant to have conversations with those guests because I'm afraid it'll feel like an infomercial. But the craziest thing happened, I get the email from your publicist about state bags. And then I'm like looking down at my state bag that is like resting by my side, like my little buddy. I was like, of course, I would love to have Jack on. I love that story. That's so cool. Thank you so much for like supporting us. That really means a lot to me. It goes everywhere with me because I outgrew our diaper bag pretty early on. You know, the second child, you just don't hold on to that diaper bag as long. Oh, definitely not. And this was one for my life and for our 17-month-old Eliza's life. That bag has seen us through a lot of hard times with airport layovers (laughs) on the playground. It's uh, practically indestructible. We're going to talk about your philanthropy and everything else. But first, like... Just share for listeners who don't know, like, what are state bags? Like, where can they find them? And then you must share with me, like, what was the first moment? Like, do you remember when you first saw one of them, like, out in the wild? Like, when did you run up to a person and go, like, that's my bag? Yeah, I mean, so 
Actually, you kind of hit the nail on the head for what state was sort of intended to be, which I think is, you know, kind of an interesting business. And again, like not to sound like an infomercial infomercial (laughs) at all, like running a backpack brand or like a brand that is predominantly backpacks is very different than most businesses out there and the way that you kind of look at it and approach it and approach your marketing and all that sort of stuff. And really what we've boiled it all down to is that we're there to be your off-duty cool bag. So like, you know, whatever your life looks like off-duty, you know, we're there to be the durable backpack, to be the fanny pack, you know, to be the product that you really rely on for your family's needs, for your child's needs, for your husband, for yourself, for your partner, whoever it might be. And so you really like nailed exactly what we want our customers to be enjoying about our product. And the way that state came to be, which we can definitely talk about after, is also an incredible story. And, you know, how we've evolved as a business specifically on the philanthropy side um, has re- is really something to be very proud of. And I unabashedly talk about it all the time. It's my favorite subject aside from my children is obviously this business. But I remember um, seeing my first state bag on the street in Brooklyn and, you know, running up to the person and like first seeing, do I know them? Um, <laughs> because for a while it was just like, I remember my best friend being online at Zara and she saw someone wearing a state bag and she ran up to them and she's like, oh my God, how, who do you know? Jack or Scott? And they were like, what are you talking about? And she's like, your backpack. And she's like, I got it at Urban Outfitters. Um, I don't know who wow. Jack and Scott are. Um, but for me, it was the same. I was like, do I know this person? And then when I didn't, I was just like, oh my God, like, do you like it? Uh, you know, where did you get it? Um, you know, any, any tweaks you think I should make? And they were kind of like, wow. And I've since run into that person who has their like 13th state bag, you know, and is a huge fan and actually someone who's like a very friendly face in the neighborhood. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, how I, I still feel that way though. Honestly, anytime I see a state bag on the street or even my favorite, one of my favorite things is the first day of school in Brooklyn because we're so saturated in Brooklyn and it's like, it's, it's a beautiful sight. Really, is. <laughs> that must be incredible. Like all these little backpacks, like <laughs> going down yeah. the sidewalk in Brooklyn. <laughs> that's that must be really special yeah and they like and the kids feel so good you know and and I think like what's so special about our brand too and I hope what's happening is that like it really is starting a conversation at home as well you know about what it means to have a state bag so I when I see all those children I'm like well at least some of them you know they're going to kindergarten but maybe their parents are having a conversation with them that they wouldn't have otherwise had because they bought state yeah, let's so. talk about the one-to-one aspect of it. Yeah, so um, so the the premise of how we started State, actually, you know, Scott and I started a nonprofit summer camp for inner-city kids from Brooklyn. Um, now we actually serve a neighborhood in the Bronx, but from East New York, Bed-Stuy, Red Hook, you know, some of the toughest neighborhoods in the country. And what we kept seeing, unfortunately, were the kids coming off the bus with their stuff in trash bags. We knew that we wanted to do more for these kids. Not only did we know that they needed something material to take their most prized possessions that they would be carrying like with them for a week away from home, but we also knew that like positive messaging was what they really needed and role models and, you know, really, honestly, the opportunity to just be kids. And so we started as a one-for-one bag company. So for every bag we sell, we donate one to American children living in situations of need through like very motivational, happy, somewhat like rally-ish dance parties. 
But we actually just announced that starting in 2019, that for every product we sell, we'll donate to American children in the way they would need it most. So in some cases, it's a backpack. And in some cases, it's, you know, a monetary donation or um, they need help with certain aspects of a building or a playground or whatever it is. We're looking to, you know, really just support American children. Okay, if you want to hear more from Jack, you can get an inside look at the wife slash husband team behind State Bags. See how I did wife, husband, not husband, wife? Yeah including the darkest hour in the creation of their company and how they pushed through. We also chat about the entrepreneurial lessons Tatelman gleamed from her childhood, as well as share the origin story behind their family's passion project, Camp Power. It's celebrating its 11th year, giving underprivileged New York City kids a chance to experience the wonders of summer camp. If you go to our AtomicMoms.com show notes, you'll see a link to the original episode and you can start it at minute 1034. See how conscientious I am about your time. Yeah, so just started it there around minute 10. And then you'll pick up where you left off. Moving on. All right, we are going to rewind to earlier this year when we celebrated Mother's Day with Reagan Moya Jones. If you're an entrepreneurial podcast fanatic like I am, you probably heard Reagan's episode of How I Built This. You know, not to get competitive with Guy Raz, but Reagan did say that I asked her questions that she's never, ever been asked before. She shares what she's learned building a $100 million company from her kitchen table while raising four daughters. Here's a snippet of my conversation with Reagan. Okay, so you you run your house with military precision, and I run mine like a three ring circus. And uh, okay, <laughs> no, whatever whatever works for you. You know, like that's the thing about being a mum, right? Well, Reagan, it's not. <laughs> Oh, it's not working? Okay, well, then I could give you some tips. Yes. So you went through some growing pains with this, and you had to level with your husband about the invisible labor that moms are required to do, and you write. Oh, I like that, by the way, invisible labor. I've never heard that. I love that term. I wish I had come up with it. I didn't, but it's it's a good one, and it is invisible, and no, you don't ever get credit for it unless you stomp around the house and tell everyone everything you're doing. Exactly. So you exactly. have this fabulous quote, and it's, like most women, I bought into the bull belief that these were my kids and I should be the one getting them fed and dressed and out the door rather than these are our kids and we need to figure out a system to take care of everyone as equally as possible. So what did that conversation with your husband look like and how do you make your mornings work today? Give me some of your military precision tips. (laughs) Right. Well, it was what was most fascinating to me about that situation was when I really had had enough and, um, you know, my husband just leisurely getting ready in the morning and, you know, strolling out when the kids are all backpacked on and ready to walk out the door sort of thing. And one day I just completely lost it and had a meltdown and came storming in sort of like, where the hell are you? I need some help out here. You know, what the hell? And his response was, sure, just tell me what you want me to do. And I I was kind of taken aback by that. But 
um, what I realized is that he was never not willing to help in any way that I needed him to. He just, you know, men just don't think about that. They're, to your point, the invisible labor, they're not noticing that you're running around like a blue ass fly while they're just watching the news and, you know, putting their suits on. Like it's ridiculous. So he said, absolutely. And so then, you know, we literally did sit down and, and had a meeting and we divided the morning chores to get the girls out the door. And, you know, I, I had to make him a list. And I've said before, it's fascinating to me that my very intelligent electronic engineer husband, who's had these children the same amount of time as I had, <laughs> doesn't understand what needs to be done. But that's a whole other conversation. Um, so I made him a list and and the division of labor has been that way ever since that conversation and it uh, it absolutely changed the game and it was as things as simple as you know cutting the apples to put into the lunch boxes to go you, you know mm-hmm. things as specific as that I was absolutely specific about what I needed and wanted him to do and and he still to this day does it. I love all that you share about your relationships in the book with your husband, you know, the, you talk about the rough patches you've had with him and coming through the other side and the importance of choosing your partner. I'm really curious about your relationship with your mother, because so much of this podcast has not so secretly been about healing our relationships with our own parents. And, you know, you, you mentioned that your mom calls you out about not cooking all the time for the girls. So this goes back to what we were just saying about the invisible labor and sort of this idea that if we share that labor with others, it's sometimes we are looked down upon Mm -hmm. because of that, like that you weren't the one cooking for your daughters every single day. So your mother, you know, got you with that one. Mm -hmm. What I love is how you share at the end of your book about when your daughter, Anae, was seven months old is when you really fell in love with her. And you write, I loved her more than I thought it was possible to love another human being. The fractured relationship I'd had with my own mother didn't matter much anymore. It was like Anae healed something in me. She filled a hole in my heart. Yep. So how, what did it feel like to have that hole filled? Like, did you know that you had that hole in your heart before you had your daughter? Because for me, I, it wasn't until I had my daughter that I realized how fractured certain aspects of my relationship with my mother were. Right. Yeah, no, unfortunately, I was acutely aware of, of my, my very fractured relationship with my mom. So... <coughs> So sorry. Hopefully you can edit that. Yeah, of course. Um, I just knocked a glass over. I don't know. So, um, I'm not going to edit that. Uh, yeah. That is very telling. If I were a psychologist, that would be <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> there are no accidents. <laughs> Good point. Um, so, yes, very sadly, I had had a, a, a very tough relationship with my mum for as long as I could remember, you know, so um and it wasn't until, and I, you know, I'd been, I'd had therapy over it. I, you know, I, it was, it was painful. And it, when I had a nay, you know, that all of the energy of that mother daughter relationship that I'd 
been putting into my relationship with my mum got shifted to the primary mother-daughter relationship being between Anae and I. So it was it up until I I had Anae and and beyond it took me a little bit longer but as I had more of my daughters it it became easier and I got stronger. But there was a long period of time where I literally couldn't even talk about my mum without bursting into tears, you know, because it's just it's just so wrong to not have a a fabulously close loving relationship with your mother. It's just, you know, to me the the mother child relationship, you know, should be the strongest there is, obviously, until you become an adult and then you get married and have your own family and all the rest of it. So, um, yeah, it was very painful for me to know that I didn't have a good relationship with my mum. To be clear, this is what made it so difficult for me was because I knew my mum loved me in the sense that I was her daughter but and that she would literally step in front of a train for me, mm-hmm. but she didn't really like me, you know, so... It was, I felt like she, she had to love me because I was her daughter and I knew that when push come to shove, she would, she would take a bullet for me. But that just made it even more fucked up, really, because, you know, you've got on one hand this woman that, you know, would, would take a bullet for you. On the other hand, is constantly beating you down, telling you not good enough, you know, all of those things. So it was very, very confusing for me. Um, and it was it was really when I realised that Anae, especially, and then even more so as I had more of my daughters, that I could speak about my mum uh, without literally bursting into tears. I realised that the girls had had healed me. Do your daughters have a relationship with her now? Not a not a lot. Yeah. So you know, my mum lives in Australia, and we're in New York, so that's that's one thing. But no, they don't. They're, they're very, very close to my husband's mum, who is, you know, their real abuelita. But, um, yeah, but no, they don't have a, you know, and I have seen her say and do things to the girls that brought all of that pain back up inside of me because of, like, things she'd said to them and, and everything. And I, you know, when I started to see that, I was like, oh, yeah, no way. You are not putting that on the girls. Like, so I just became fiercely protective of them as well. I have so many friends and I know so many listeners who've reached out to me in the past who will so appreciate everything you are saying. It is so heartbreaking having children really puts in perspective like how we were treated as children exactly and suddenly it feels to see to see how little we were you know right in front of us again and to to see in our children ourselves and be like oh i didn't deserve that it's it's exactly. really intense, and thank you so much it for is. voicing it. And look, you know, and and this is not easy. And in in fairness, I'm doing this because I know my mum will never hear this podcast. Mm. But um, but it, you know, it does not feel good or natural to be speaking candidly about my mum. 
you know, because she's my mum. But it's it got to the point where you know it was it was you know I needed to to do it to protect me. You know, I I you know I was in my I was in my forties and I was still crumbling at the thought of you know my mum not loving me mm-hmm. or liking me. The point. So you know, it just got to the point where I thought you know I have to. I have to get tough and I have to push her away and just be, you know, no more. And, um, but, but it never feels good to be honest about that because it's just, as I said, it is just so not right to not have a wonderful, loving relationship with your mum. You know, so many people share all the Instagram photos of their mothers helping them every step of the way with their, with the grandchildren all the time and all these things. And um, to say that a relationship with a parent has been so fractured, especially the mother child relationship, it, it almost like it brings back all the shame again. Like, well, why wasn't I enough for this to, to be the apple of her eye? Like why, like what is wrong with me that, that this wasn't easier and to realize like that's not the truth and that everyone's doing the best they can, but we're all dealing with a lot of intergenerational trauma and some people didn't learn or have the tools in order to be the parent that we always needed. At the same time, that can also create a lot of drive in a person. And I'm curious, you don't share this in the book, but I'm wondering, you have such relentless drive and do you think that your relationship with your mother informed that at all? Or what was the spark that like gets you to go further than everyone else? I, that, you know, you really are mixing it up here, Ellie. I love it. But yes, I a hundred percent believe that I am the person I am in terms of my, um, my strength and tenacity and, and the drive in no small part because of who my mum was. Because, you know, when, you know, I spent, I spent a whole lot of my childhood trying to be um, accepted and acknowledged by her. And then the flip side of that was when I realized that being the good girl and the overachiever wasn't working, I then turned into the bad girl and I got plenty of attention from her then, but it clearly wasn't the right attention. So yes, a hundred percent. And actually I have said to you know, I obviously have a lot of very successful female entrepreneur girlfriends, and this is not, you know, across the board, but many of them, many of them have had very fractured relationships with their mums. And I have said in the past, I reckon we should write a book about the correlation between, you know, successful women and, you know, their broken relationships with their mother. 100%. Because I do think that uh, there is something there. I very much appreciate Reagan's candor in that conversation. And I love this podcast because Atomic Moms is about exploring the psychology of motherhood, the messiness of living honestly and being your true self no matter how you were raised. So, moms, what are you going to create today? a blog post, a moment to yourself, a spontaneous dance party with your kids, whether or not it's venture-backed. Did I even say that right? (laughs) 
These are the moments I'm like, why was I a theater major? Ah, we are all creators. Thank you to our guests, Jessica Rolfe, Jack Tatelman, and Reagan Moya Jones. Thank you as well to Owen O'Neill, our sound engineer, Olivia Hasty, our production assistant, and Jeremy Turner, who did our original theme song. Okay, everyone, we will be off the grid next week in terms of podcasting, but subscribe because we are coming back strong with brand new episodes in December. Until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness. Rock on, Atomic Moms. Thank you.